the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Let's hear it for the uh, patron saint of our podcast, our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Hell, the patron saint of all podcasts, St. Maximus. St. Maximus. I love it. The brave, the wise. What would you be a patron saint of, Noel? Oh, gosh. What would... uh, uh, Oh, let me let me think on that. Okay, okay. <laughs> How about you, Ben? I've got. Um, I think you know. I feel like I would be a good patron saint of travel to obscure places. I like it. Uh, I'll be the pa- patron saint of modesty, and I'll be the best damn patron mm-hmm. saint of modesty that there ever was. Mm-hmm. Ever, no one could ever beat me. Because I'm the patron saint of modesty. <laughs> right. Could I be uh, the patron saint of difficult cats? Not like cats that are like trouble, but like that demand a lot. You totally can. I you like could, that. You could also be the patron saint of curling. Uh, folks, if, if, if you haven't put it together quite yet, this is an episode about patron saints. Because we three non-popes are still very interested in so much of Catholic history Mm -hmm. and patron saints in particular. We talked about this a few times off air. For a lot of people, I think the idea of saints in Christianity feels a little bit odd, right? Because Christianity is monotheistic. There's only one God, right? So why would you pray to someone else? Well, I mean, you don't see the same canon of saints in Protestant Christianity as you do in Catholicism, right? Like, they're they're not, like, imbued with mystical powers, per se, right? Right, yeah. In 
Uh, and saints occur in other religions and denominations, but I think most of us, when we hear the word saint, we think of a Catholic saint. And in Catholicism, a saint is a person who is believed to have a special connection with God, a closeness of sorts. And the idea is that these saints can intercede on your behalf, a kind of heavenly advocate. And patron saints are advocates for very particular stuff. It could be a nation. It could be a town or a city. Uh, it could be all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it could be like a particular um, discipline, you know, uh, crafts or whatever it might be. And a lot of times folks that associate themselves with these particular, you know, um, disciplines or, or families or classes or whatever it might be may wear uh, either some sort of talisman, I guess let's call it. That might not be the right term in Catholicism, but, you know, some sort of trinket perhaps that represents that saint. Like a St. Christopher's medal is a very mm -hmm popular one, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And saints also, of course, have other forms of veneration and commemoration like feast days. Here's the thing. You, you probably have heard of patron saints. St. Christopher is a great example, but you might, you've almost certainly not heard of all of them. And if you're not Catholic, you might not be aware that a lot of saints are patrons of some really, really specific or deeply weird stuff that you wouldn't <laughs> associate yeah. with sainthood in general, you know? It's true. And before we dive into a list, this is going to be sort of a uh, saintly listicle episode. I do think the use of the word patron here is interesting. Mm. And it's always kind of fascinated me because you think of like an individual perhaps as being a patron of the arts, you know, or someone who perhaps finances something, a patron of an individual uh, cause perhaps. But a patron saint is, I guess, the implication being that they somehow represent and uh, support some particular thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And we don't mean, of course, to disrespect in any shape, form, or fashion the spiritual beliefs of the Catholic doctrine or any spiritual beliefs. Uh, we have learned a lot with episodes like this. Um, and I'm, I'm doing that preface, I'm doing that disclaimer, because when I was growing up, one of the ways it was explained to me as a kid was that patron saints, I could think of them as like mascots for specific things. And that was another, that was another kid who told me that, and that kid went to Catholic school. So I thought, yeah, Max is doing the nod. I thought, okay, that checks out. You know, but we're both seven years old. What do we know? Uh, anyway, we thought we thought this would be a strange exploration. We're only scratching the surface here because there are a lot of patron saints, and they are the advocates for a lot of things. Uh, often, some of which aren't like good things. No, per not se, necessarily. You know, yeah, or what one might consider to be like. Uh, a positive trait. And uh, that's very much so of our first entry into this uh, saintly listicle. Yeah. And a lot of these saints are patrons of more than one thing. We're just, mm -hmm. we're focusing on one or two aspects. Yeah. We want to introduce you to Saint Drogo. No relation to Cal Drogo of the Song uh -huh. of Ice and Fire. Uh, saint Drogo is, well, bluntly put, the patron saint of Uggos. <laughs> 
<laughs> and also a delightful coffee. Yes, uh, and coffee. Which is interesting. And, you know, and again, there, there may be other aspects. Um, but, oh, yeah, there are. Well, one, for example, might be shepherds. Mm-hmm. And it's odd here because there there's a bit of inherent, like, almost judgment built into that. Because it's almost like, are all shepherds ugly? You no, know? <laughs> That's what I was thinking, too, because I, I like... I like envisioning the creation of patron saints as a pitch meeting and someone's like, uh, I don't know, man, uh, she- shepherds, uh, co- coffee. And someone's like, ugly people. And he's like, yeah, yeah, them too, them too. Let's give them something. Let's give back to them. Yeah, and, 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 you know, a lot of these saints are, are usually, there's a reason. It's not like it's just done willy-nilly. Right. You know, uh, a saint, um, in, in, well, first of all, a saint isn't just some sort of, like, angel or celestial being. A saint is someone who is sainted uh, posthumously, usually. No, always, right? There's no Yeah, beatified, canonized. Mm-hmm. That's right. Sort of the way you might be knighted, only that happens usually while the person is still living. Um, but this is something that can only be bestowed, uh, this honor, by the Catholic Church. And there's probably some interesting meetings that go into those kind of decisions, right, where they then decide which uh, which aspects the, the saint represents. St. Saint Drogo uh, was born as Drogo of Seaborg on March 14th, 1105. He passed away on April 16th of 1186. Um, decently long life for for that period oh, of time. Amazing. Yeah. The kind of long life you usually will only associate with members of nobility because of their access to, you know, better mm. health care for whatever it was at the time. Or perhaps members of the clergy, but mm-hmm. for similar reasons. So he is born into a pretty well-placed family. He's a Flemish noble. Yeah, I'm feeling uh, a little Flemish today. I think I've had too much coffee. <laughs> he was also, uh, he also is known uh, to some historical sources as Druon or Drux or Drogon. Again, no relation to Song of Ice and Fire. Uh, yeah, Drogon was a, was a, dragon perhaps or definitely an app yeah but we also know that george rr R. martin pulled a lot of his names and even conflicts from historical uh figures so uh, this doesn't surprise me one bit that we may we may see more of these yeah. um he he was uh primarily a french citizen um and but but he you know much like our story in stuff they don't want you to know about um a member of the rockefeller family that kind of eschewed a life of luxury, perhaps in favor of more like self-discovery or living a little bit more like, you know, the common folk. Uh, He wasn't all about that life of luxury and being what you might call a shiftless layabout. Yeah, this story is actually really tragic. So his father dies, you know, before he's born. His mother dies in childbirth. He doesn't learn the truth about what happened to his parents until he's 10 years old. Oh, wow. And that's still, still though, 10 is very young to lay that on a kid, right? So he feels terrible about this. And at 20 years old, he has this crisis of faith, a kind of a breaking point, and he gives away his money and his possessions, his goods to the poor. He renounces his claim to the estate so other heirs in the family can get it. And he says, I'm going to live a life of poverty and penance I'm going to travel around to all these different holy sites. He goes to Rome more than once. And eventually, he starts to kind of settle down. He gets a job as a shepherd for a wealthy woman named Elizabeth de la Hare in Seaborg, like you mentioned. 
and which means Elizabeth of the hair of the hair. Yeah. Legendary, like uh, actually patron saint of shampoo, that lady Um, and and rabbits. Yeah. Don't fact check Uh, the he liked this. It was kind of like a retirement for him. Almost. Uh, He liked being alone. He loved the solitude and apparently he loved the solitude because it gave him time to pray. So that's what he was doing while he was shepherding. Well, and let's also not forget the the religious connection that shepherds have. You know, um, the idea of of Jesus being the shepherd and his followers being his flock and all of that. And also, specifically, actual shepherds, you know, watching their flocks by night and all of that stuff. It's a very uh, big image that, that pops up in the Bible uh, time and time again. Yeah, and, you know, part of these stories are quite possibly embellished a bit. You know, we're telling you the official version, but please realize that sometimes the stories may be considered figurative or they may be considered works of fiction. And we'll see a few of those in this episode as well. But yeah, he's ticking all the boxes for good imagery. Uh, He wants to tell people about the stuff he's learned as a shepherd. So other folks in the in the area will come to him and he'll diagnose their sheep. He'll tell them if there's an illness and how to address that malady. Uh, he can read the weather pretty well. And people liked him, especially his boss, because he was he was good. He had a good vibe. He was helpful to be around. People also started thinking he had superpowers. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts of a spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. Cement Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know. I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac, yeah. Bonneville, 
right? It's, oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was, a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, <laughs> I said El Camino and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And just to backtrack ever so slightly, uh, Jesus himself was a figurative shepherd. He's all kinds of passages referring to him as I'm referring to himself as being the good shepherd, uh, using all of these kind of sheep analogies, talking about how the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who doesn't own the sheep sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees. We also see very important biblical figures like Abraham and Moses King David, even, um, and the Old Testament prophet Amos, uh, who are shepherds. So that's a very important uh, actual occupation in the Bible as well. But you're right. I mean, he, he's very well liked and, uh, and, and very much living among, you know, people who, if he had played his cards as they were dealt to him, would have been considered like lesser than him. But instead, he is very much living amongst them and uh, giving, you know, everything that he has to help these these people. And, you know, he, he had a really good reputation. And to your point, Ben, a bit, a part of that reputation had to do with him having these kind of like supernatural abilities, one of which was the gift of bilocation, which is kind of what it sounds like. I mean, I guess maybe in like, you know, um, X-Men terms, that would be something to the equivalent of like teleporting or being able to perhaps duplicate oneself, you know, like uh, trying to think of like an X-Men who had that ability. The multiple man. They, well, they, there you go. That's, it's, right, it's right there on the name, folks. Um, so yeah, this is Drogo is kind of our biblical multiple man. Uh, the gift of bilocation because there were reports that he'd be seen in the fields and simultaneously at church. So he was tending his flocks with on the one hand and then, you know, doing his, uh, his, his Bible studies on the other. Um, so there was a kind of almost like a catchphrase that came up among some of the kind of the common folk of the area in this rural area in the region. Uh, I'm not St. Drogo. I can't ring the church bell for mass and be in the procession. Ugh, you silly. I laughed <laughs> I when I found that. that. And that's shout out to a uh, Catholic dot org. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and shout out to you, Ben, for this wonderful uh, research brief. This is a really, really fun one as y'all will continue to discover. So, Ben. 
why? So far, this guy seems like a lovely fellow. You know, a friend to the poor, a friend to the to the lowly shepherd. Where does the ugly part come in? Yeah, that's the question. So none of this has addressed physical appearance. We don't shame people for their appearance here on Ridiculous History. But the reality is he is the patron saint of uh, unsightly people. That's another euphemism you'll hear. And it's because he came down with some sort of extreme physical affliction. Some stories will just say there was this unexplained condition that gave him gross deformities, like pus-filled boils all all over his body, but not the plague. And then other sources will say that he just had a real bonkers bad hernia. And and a bad hernia would maybe give you like a, a hunch, perhaps, or really bad posture. Perhaps it's weird, whatever it was, uh, really affected his appearance so much so that according to the story, he was cloistered up or put into a solitary room, a a cell, you could call it, but not like a prison uh, that was attached to the church he went to all the time. And for quite a while, he only survived on barley, water, and the Eucharist. And this was given to him through a a small window. So he'd get food and water through this window. Uh, People who were seeking prayers and counsel would come to him. You see some jokes about kids coming to to look at him, almost like a freak show vibe, but we I, I don't know how much of that is actually true. He lives basically like an anchorite there for 45 years, which is a huge amount of time to spend in one room, right? And uh, eventually he passes away at 81 years old. And it's because of his appearance and his story that he became known as the patron saint of these different things, like patron saint of ugly people because you were at one point ugly but remained pious, I guess. Uh, The coffee thing's interesting, though. The coffee thing doesn't quite check out because it's kind of anachronistic. He he never had coffee in his life. He had had no idea what what it was. That's right. Like, I mean, when did coffee really hit the scene? That would have been something that came from other lands, right? So coffee isn't really a thing for Europeans at this time in the 1100s. It's a few centuries later. We found a book, Uncommon Grounds, The History of Coffee, and How It Transformed Our World. Love books about very specific things. And this guy, Mark Pendergrass, the author, says that it probably wasn't until sometime in the 15th century that someone roasted coffee beans, ground them, and made an infusion. Well, and and, and to to a a point that's probably going to continue to come up, uh, a lot of these saints are given additional aspects many, many, many years after their sainthood. Oh, Uh, you mean like the multiple saints of the internet? Correct. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> definitely, definitely. But, you know, we also have modern saints, you know, I mean, uh-huh. of course, we, you know, we'll get to that. Like, I mean, Mother Teresa is a saint, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you're right. Uh, she was canonized fairly recently, I think 2016. She mm-hmm. became a saint, uh, St. Teresa of Calcutta. That's right. Um, so, yeah, where, where did this coffee business come from? This is interesting. Yeah, this one's kind of weird. Okay, so the some of the first sources that associate St. Drogo with coffee don't come out until the 1800s. 
And it looks like coffee house owners in the area kind of proactively claimed St. Drogo as their patron. But there's no reason, like there's no solid source or something from the story of his life. He may have just been a local saint in the area. And then people who own coffee houses or sold coffee started saying, yeah, St. Drogo, patron saint of coffee. And people went along with it. Yeah, he's also often referred to uh, specifically as the saint, the patron saint of caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, thank you for your service, St. Drogo. And also, you know, feels like we had to talk about the uh, possibly multiple patron saints of the internet, St. Isidore of Seville. Um, also, you know, just spoiler alert, born way before the internet was a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, perhaps it invented the internet along with Al Gore, uh, at least in its uh, in its, its conceptualization. Uh, no, I'm joking. But yeah, it was uh, Saint Paul uh, or Saint John Paul II, rather, who bestowed this uh, this particular aspect upon Saint Isidore of Seville. Because as a bishop, Saint Isidore uh, was a very important figure in creating early forms of what we now know as universities. So more of a patron saint of education, I guess, but it gets a little more specific. Oh, yeah. This guy wrote a 20-book series where he tried to explain everything. It's not even hyperbole. He tried to explain everything, and he thought, eh, 20 books, that'll cover it. We're talking about the origins of language to law, biology, agriculture, history of the church, the stuff like how to build roads. He wanted to be, he wanted to kind of create, like you said, a university or a Wikipedia. Kind of an omnibus, right? Yeah, it's his magnum opus. And so I think there's some sand to this this patronage because he clearly was a guy who saw the great potential of sharing knowledge. And I, I, that's always commendable. Now was is his book series, right about everything. No, of course not. <laughs> There's a lot of things they hadn't quite figured out yet, but the interconnectedness, I think of knowledge is an important factor here too, uh, because it wasn't just, you know, specifically uh, how to's on all this stuff. It kind of was attempting to, to sew it all together in, mm-hmm. in a similar way to, to what the internet kind of does in a much larger scale kind of way. Yeah, well said. And there's, folks, you heard us mention multiple saints of the internet. Mm-hmm. As we record today, there's a, there's a person who is not quite an official saint yet, but is well on their way. Uh, the first millennial who will, who will in all likelihood become a saint, uh, a boy named Carlo Acutis, who tragically passed away at the age of 50. Yeah, I mean, pretty impressive, though, uh, someone to have made such an impact uh, by such an early age and and really sad to to have been uh, taken. But during his brief time on uh, planet Earth, he was a big help in spreading the the teachings of Roman Catholicism uh, on the Internet. This is this is again a, a modern saint uh, before he tragically passed away due to leukemia in 2006. Um, and uh, one of his big supporters was Cardinal Angelo uh, Becciu, I believe, B E C C I U, who is the head of the Vatican's saint making department, which is a thing, you know. And you got to imagine, Ben, and I'd love to maybe explore this briefly here. 
what the modern saint-making department kind of looks like. I picture it being a nomination process and then various members of, of the clergy throughout the, the Roman Catholic world vote on on who, uh, and, and obviously a pope could probably just full-scale nominate someone themselves and just, you know, make it so with a wave of a, of a hand. Yeah, so it, it there is a defined process they're not just walking walking around the Vatican with vibes. Uh, anybody can become a saint in the Roman Catholic Church. So unlike, say, a priest, you don't have to be male, etc. Uh, but the big thing is, as we said, you can only become a saint after death. And the first the first step is a formal request for an individual to be considered for sainthood. It's submitted to this tribunal in the Vatican. And the request has to explain how the person lived a very pious life. And then uh, this tri tribunal will evaluate the, the story of this person's life, basically. Did they live in a saintly way? And if this person passes the, the sniff test, I guess, the tribunal officially recognizes them as a servant of God. Capital S, capital G, that's like level one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then well, you're that, not there yet. You're, you're not sainted not yet. quite yet. No. No. Then you have to go to the Congregation for the Causes of the Saints at the Vatican. This is a group of cardinals, archbishops, bishops, theologians who study a person's life and writing in depth to make sure it lines up with the values of the church. So in this second process, to be uh, heroically virtuous, they have the candidate has to be found to have four cardinal virtues and three theological virtues. It goes on, and then you finally get to beatification, which is where you would be called blessed. Carlo Acutis is beatified now. And those cardinal virtues, which would be like the opposite of cardinal sins, are prudence, justice, temperance, and courage. And then those theological aspects are faith, hope, and charity. This really applies to Carlo because, again, by, you know, at such a young age, he became very deeply religious. He grew up in a middle-class household in Milan, which, of course, is very much in that world of, of, of the Vatican. You know, I mean, it's not right there, but, you know, folks in this part of the world, very, very, very deferential to everything that goes on in Vatican City. He would actually, you know, go and, and mingle with the, the city's poor residents and actually give his meager, you know, pocket money to uh, to poor folks. And he taught himself coding, mm -hmm. um, which is no small feat. And he actually would, at the, at the time, this is in the early 2000s, set up websites. You know, this was before, like, Squarespace and things like that. I mean, you know, that stuff was kind of, you know, we, we had, like, make-your-own-website kind of templatized things at that point. But they, in the earlier internet days, you definitely still had to, you know, do some HTML or whatever it might be. Um, so this is a little kind of on the cusp of that kind of stuff, but he actually set up websites for priests. And at the age of 10, he started to create like an online kind of curated exhibit about religious miracles, which started to really pick up steam and, and gain popularity after uh, he passed away. Yeah. Yeah. And this, and again, this is very impressive. He's, he's a whiz at the internet and at coding, he specifically created this online exhibit about miracles that absolutely exploded after his death. Hundreds of parishes around the world have used the site he created 
for their own real life exhibits. They printed out versions of this. In 2019, Pope Francis pays tribute to Carlo and says that his use of the internet to communicate values and beauty was the perfect antidote to the dangers of other stuff on the internet like social media. And Francis even, the Pope quoted this kid. Francis quoted Carlo by noting something he had said during his lifetime. Everyone is born an original, but many die like photocopies. And after he cited this, Pope Francis said, don't let this happen. I think it's pretty amazing to be quoted by the Pope. It doesn't matter whether or not you are Catholic. 100%. If the Pope was ever like, I was listening to this show, Ridiculous History, and they introduced me to the term beefed up. And <laughs> Max, your camera went out for a second. Uh, I, I think the Pope probably has more important stuff to do. But the point we're getting to here is support for making Carlo a saint is pretty widespread and unanimous. The beatification ceremony was put off due to COVID-19, but eventually got held. Right now, he's on the way to canonization. Canonization is the step after beatification. And when you get to these areas of becoming a saint, we're talking miracles, posthumous miracles that occur because someone prayed for your intercession. The miracle attributed to Carlo occurred in 2013, the rapid and inexplicable healing of a six-year-old Brazilian boy suffering from a deformation of the pancreas. And you can read a great LA Times article all about Carlo. This is from Tom Kington, June 28th, 2020, a patron saint of the internet. The Pope is on it. So we will soon have not one, but multiple saints of the internet. That's good. That's all That's all well and good because the internet's a big deal. But what about another human pursuit. Noel, what about murder? Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville's. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, 
Oh, man, and funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Ooh, see, that's not a good one. But again, you know, it's uh, everyone needs a saint, uh, even even the, the most despicable amongst us. And, uh, you know, perhaps folks who are, are in prison, you know, for doing the most heinous of acts. Yeah, there's a patron saint of not murder the act, but of murderers. Right. <laughs> uh, but again, like to what, what I was getting at, most importantly, repentant murderers. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, you have to feel bad about it, is, is the thing, which I get, you know, you should feel bad. Uh, St. Julian the Hospitaller, or Hospitaller, Hospitaller, patron saint of repentant murderers, as well as <clears throat> clowns, circus workers, innkeepers, fiddle players, yeah. jugglers, and people without children. See, some of these I just feel like just kind of got tossed in there, uh, not necessarily based on any real life acts of, of these individuals. I don't know, man. Juggling's cool. That's weird. That's a, that's a weird flex. I always thought juggling was a weird flex. When I'm hanging out with people and they juggle, I enjoy it, but it, it, it's a weird flex. Jonathan Strickland can juggle. AKA the That's Quister. the least surprising thing I've heard today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so can Alex Williams a little he bit. Can. At least he took juggling classes for a bit. It's tricky. It really requires some left brain, right brain kind of stuff. Ooh. It's like rubbing your tummy and patting your head or whatever, because you got to kind of, you know, uh, synchronize this left and right hands and have them do things that are completely disconnected from one another. So kudos to anyone out there uh, that has mastered the art of juggling. Or I wonder if there's a patron saint of yo-yoing. There may be. There very well may be. As a matter of fact, let's see. You know, I don't believe there is. Dang it. Yet. But 
we have to be the change sometimes. Let's figure out how this guy becomes the saint of repentant murderers. The story starts with a curse. He's born and he has a curse on him that says he will commit patricide, that he will kill his parents. And he says, I don't want to do that. You know, I, I don't want to be a person who kills people in general, much less my mom and dad. So he pulls a move like, um, remember in Forrest Gump when Forrest just starts running? It's like most of the movie. Yeah, how could I forget? Yeah. So he, uh, this guy, St. Julian, pulls a Forrest Gump. He walks away from home one day and he just keeps walking for 50 days, eventually settles down and he marries a wealthy widow. And then he becomes a knight and he starts working for a king and the decades fly by. And sometimes Julian is looking out from the ramparts of his castle and he says, (laughs) I guess I've outsmarted that curse. But he didn't know that throughout all those decades, his parents have been searching for him and they finally found where he was. They found they, they came across his castle. But unfortunately, at the time when they discovered the castle, Julian was away uh, on on business, a hunting business. Uh, his wife, however, was there and and welcomed the family with open arms. Uh, she was so excited to meet her in-laws for the first time that she uh, gave them the nicest room in the joint, the master bedroom. And Julian comes home much, much later from hunting. He finds the couple in his bed, and he immediately thinks... It's his wife with another man. He thinks she's cheating on him. He goes nuts. He sees red. He murders both those people. They are his parents. They are his parents. Oh, wow. That's terrible. Oh, that's a bummer. Yes. Yeah, it's a bit of a bummer. Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah, that's the story, though. That's some Shakespearean stuff right there. Right, you know? Oedipus Rex kind of stuff. Uh, his wife was away at church at the time, and she tells him what he did. Those people you killed, they're your parents. And Julian loses, uh, loses it. You know, uh, he is despairing. He is convinced that he is bound for hell. But according to one version of the story, his wife encouraged him and she said, well, I know that God is so merciful and so kind and loving that if we serve him all our lives without anger and without envy, I do surely believe that he will grant us mercy. So they spend the rest of their life trying to make up for that. Those yeah, I mean, and this, is, I get it. This it really clicks, right? With the whole, how do you become a patron saint of murderers? How, how, do, how do you, you know, uh, canonize someone who has done, you know, one of the most horrific acts that a human being could do, one of the, the most cardinal sins of Catholicism? It would have had to have been an honest mistake and very tragic for that individual and then led to a life of utter penance and, and uh, you know, uh, seeking to absolve oneself for this heinous crime. But, yeah. you know, we got to wonder, too, like, would this have been, cons- this probably would have been considered manslaughter, perhaps, or, you know. Yeah, because it's not premeditated. Right? It's not premeditated, and it is technically, you know, I don't know, this guy also should have maybe been the patron saint of jumping the gun yeah. a little bit. No, it's not a bad point. Yeah, this, so, Julian does 
dedicate the rest of his life. According to the story, dependence and good work, uh, he starts a hospice at a river crossing where a lot of crusaders travel, and he took on the duty of ferrying people safely back and forth across the river. You can also find one story that says he took in a frozen leper one night and said, look, it's cold. I can tell you've been having a rough time for a while. Why don't you sleep in my bed? And the leper turned out to be an angel in disguise. And the leper, or the angel now, said, Julian, our Lord hath sent me to thee and sendeth thee word that he accepted thy penance. Nice ending. It's got a bow on it. Tricky thing, though, a lot of people think this story is kind of a bit of pious fiction because it's really tough to find an historical basis for the specifics of this guy. Interesting. But still, but still, you know, if it's stories have power, right? And there are repentant murderers aplenty throughout history who have prayed for the intercession of St. Julian. But Noel, I don't feel, I feel like we can't end on a down note. This, let's keep this next one short, but we gotta, we, this is the perfect ending, man. We've got to talk about one very surprising patron saint. Correct. This is St. Lawrence, the patron saint of comedians. Uh, nothing better than a, than a cut up uh, saint. During the third century, there were seven deacons who served under Pope Sixtus II, which is a very confusing, confusing name. <laughs> yes. It's like Seventhus the Fifth um, in Rome. And this was a tough place for Christians to exist, as we know. The Roman Empire did not take kindly to Christians, and they did, you know, gnarly things like, you know, nail them to crosses. Emperor Valerian was was reigning at the time, and he was no exception to this rule. Very, very anti-Christian and did horrible things to them and their bodies. What put St. Lawrence in his particular crosshairs and, and that of the Roman Empire at large was his belief that the Catholic Church was sitting on treasures untold, not like of the, you know, religious varieties or of the, you know, spiritual variety. This is like, you know, gold and stuff. A Roman official asked uh, Lawrence, uh, you know, like, like, tell us, tell us the location of the church's treasure, you know, that kind of stuff. And he responded by saying, behold, in these poor persons, the treasures which I promised to show you, to which I will add pearls of precious stones, those widows and consecrated virgins, which are the church's crown. He's like, the real treasures are people. This is the original joke, you dirty <laughs> Roman. Uh, and that was a little bit of a snarky response at the time, but he was working with a tough crowd, right? So after he shoots his mouth off, He's put in prison. Uh, again, the Roman officials, their power structure at the time doesn't vibe with Christians. So Lawrence is sentenced to a cruel death and uh, the executioners strip him. They lay him out on an iron grill. They pile all these coals under it. Jesus. They press heated iron pitchforks on his body. And this guy looks at them and says, look, wretch, you have me well done on one side. Turn me over and eat. <laughs> so that's, I'm more of a medium rare kind of guy, but do do you know? Yeah, and, uh, uh, no. that's the, so. That's the line that made him the patron saint of of comedians. I gotta tell you, he went out like a G. Yeah, no doubt, man. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, there's a really great scene 
with some problematic language in it, but I do think it's a very well-acted scene in uh, True Romance, where Dennis Hopper, his character, who is the fa- plays the father of Christian Slater, who's like, you know, really pissed off the mafia, and he's on the run, and then and, uh, Christopher Walken and his goons are grilling Dennis Hopper's character, and he just, you know, he tells this story it has a punchline that is just, you know, like the most offensive thing to the people in the room that could possibly be. Uh, and they all just start laughing and laughing and laughing. But so they're laughing at his audacity, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. because he knows he's going to die no matter what. So why not go out with a bang and say something that, you know, these folks basically can't unhear. Uh, it's pretty, pretty excellent scene. But it's the, the, the story and the thing that he's actually pointing to is something that's a little... It's that kind of peak Tarantino, like, oh, why you got to use that word so much, guy? Yeah. Uh, but it's it, it reminds me of this. A hundred percent. And this is just the beginning of the story. There are many, many patron saints for many, many things. Uh, as a matter of fact, we paused off air to check whether there was a patron saint of yo-yos. I don't think any, any of us knew, but there are so many out there that it was possible. Mm-hmm. So... So we want to thank everybody for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this. We'd love to hear about your favorite patron saints. Big, big thanks as always to our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Big, big thanks to Christopher Asiotis here in spirit. As always, Eve's Jeff Coat, Alex Williams, who composed this theme. Mm-hmm, yeah. And Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister. Of course, Casey Pegram, who... Uh, who may maybe will listen to our Svetlana conversation with Dan Kent Rosser and, and have a maybe it'll brighten his day a little bit. But Casey, if you're listening, miss you, bud. Talk soon. Uh, what would Casey be a patron saint of? Film. Oh yeah, no wait, that's that's an easy one. What about Jonathan? Juggling's taken. Pestilence. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X visit tomboyx.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.